Earlier this week, Alec, Ginger, and I attended the NEXT conference in Atlanta. This is a conference of about 600 other church leaders, predominantly from the Presbyterian Church USA. It is a conference that is directed by Jessica Tate, who is actually a former intern here at Second Presbyterian. The conference began a few years ago when people started asking, what is next for the Presbyterian Church USA? What is the future of our denomination in light of changing demographics and membership numbers? How do we have honest and hopeful conversations about our future life together? For three days, we worshiped and workshopped and had wonderful conversations with other church leaders. In one of our keynote talks, we heard Bob Lupton speak. Bob Lupton, as some of you might know, is the author of the well-regarded book called Toxic Charity, in which he highlights the ways that churches and other nonprofits have used charitable giving and good deeds with the best of intentions, but often with less than helpful consequences. Lupton told the story of a woman he met who was an educator from Africa, She recalls growing up, and she said to Bob, you know, there is something about you Americans that I just never understood. What is it about you that just loves to paint so much? (laughs) When the Americans would come to my village, the teachers would let us all out of class early so we could go outside and get mud and dirt and trash up the walls of the school so the Americans would have something to paint when they got there. She said that we painted, they painted that whole building four times in the three years that I was there. I could never figure out what it was about Americans and painting. Lupton uses this example and others to ask the question, when we do mission, who is it about? What agenda do we have? Who are we doing it for? Indeed, over the past 20 years, there have been more conversations about the values of short-term mission trips, about people coming in from outside and doing work and then leaving. There have been times when those sorts of trips are helpful, and there have been times when they are harmful, when they take work from local people or create more jobs for the people left behind to fix up. There have been lots of good conversations and reflections about that, Because if we want to be the church out in the world, how do we follow Jesus without embarrassing God in this ministry of mission work? Our scripture passage today has a few things to show us about doing unto others. On the surface, this passage from John 6 tells of a familiar miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. And it is a story that is done with the same panache as a huge Stop Hunger Now initiative. Jesus stands up, sees the crowd, shouts some instructions, and ta-da, over 5,000 people are fed. But if we look more closely, we might begin to ask, what can this story teach us about following Jesus with our ministries of mission? And indeed, it's worth noting this is the only miracle story that appears in all four Gospels. So clearly, it is a big deal. So let us now listen to the word of the Lord from John chapter 6. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. 
Jesus went up to the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy the bread for all these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, all 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world And when Jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what can we learn from this story? First, this scripture teaches us to spend time with the hungry. This might not be a surprise, but it is worth hearing again. Hunger, after all, is a real bodily need. The people in this story need food. But they do also need so much more than food. We must listen to the hungry and spend time with those who are hungry, even if they are a little one. Because we must find out what their physical as well as their emotional and spiritual hungers truly are. After all, these thousands of people showed up to hear Jesus not because Jesus had promised them barley loaves ahead of time. Thousands of people are showing up because this Jesus of Nazareth is offering them words of healing and hope. Nobody wants to leave. They could go off and find food. They could catch up on the stories about Jesus later. But nobody wants to leave this crowd They are hungry for food, but they are also hungry for good news. Jesus knows this. It is worth remembering that Jesus has spent time with these people. He is no stranger from far away. He is a local man from Nazareth, just a few miles from the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has already spent 30 years among these people before he ever started his public ministry. Jesus has talked and eaten and stayed in the homes of these people. He has reached out and touched them. He has seen their needs and listened to their longings. He has taken time to learn their deepest, most painful, most physical hungers. Toxic Charity points out the way that we sometimes want to swoop in to a situation and assume that we know what people need, what will most satisfy them. We forget to pay attention to the hungers that people have. 
Bob Lupton told the story of some mission trip visitors in Haiti who saw mothers wrapping their babies in rags. And so the visitors went and bought the mothers baby blankets. A few days later, when the mission workers were coming back through the village, they passed a shop and they saw the blankets for sale again in the window. Angered, these mission trip workers went to the local staff member complaining about the ungrateful women. And the staff member said, the mothers sold the blankets for food. These babies needed food even more than new blankets. Before we start doing a ministry of mission, we, like Jesus, need to pay attention to those who are hungry. We need to listen to them, to get to know these people, to discern what they truly need, what they're actually asking for. The second thing about mission work that we can learn from this story is the power of collaboration. This scripture tells of a miracle, not of a magic trick. Jesus does not raise his hand and go poof, all on his own. Indeed, if you remember back earlier in the gospel, this is what the devil tempted him with in the desert, the ability to raise his hands and transform rocks into bread all on his own, a sort of shock and awe campaign that would show his might and power. Jesus resisted that temptation then, and he resists it now. He will not do this miracle all on his own. And so Jesus invites us, invites his disciples to join him. He asks them what they think they should do to feed the people. He gives them instructions, actual actions that they can do right now in the moment. And even if the disciples are a bit slow on the uptake, even if they don't quite understand what he's asking, Jesus refuses to leave them behind. He gently and sometimes not so gently prods and pokes them into their mission work. Jesus will do the miracle, but Jesus wants us to join with him. Even as the all-powerful Messiah, Jesus shows us how to work with others. If we want to follow Jesus without embarrassing God in mission, it is good to learn how to collaborate. The third thing that we can learn from this story is that when Jesus looks at needs and hungers, he does not see what we see. Where we see a place of scarcity and despair, Jesus sees a place of possibility and abundance. This is a revelation that we can easily forget. For indeed, when we label people as needy or poor, we can use these labels as a way to separate us from them. This can be a way of forgetting that we too have needs. We too have hungers. Even if they are not as dramatic or as challenging as others, we too have our weaknesses as well as our strengths. And so those whom we often see as needy, we must also see as people, full of abundance, full with certain personalities and challenges and skills to offer. Upton, Lupton invited us during his keynote earlier this week to stop seeing mission as a system of one-way giving and instead see mission as a real, life-affirming, dignifying exchange. He gave examples of having a food co-op where everyone pitches in a minimal amount of money and then can work together to make 
food available for everyone, a food co-op instead of a food pantry. He also mentioned how elderly housebound residents in the projects can become an unofficial crime watch, or teenagers who vandalize places with graffiti can have their artistic skills used to make a beautiful neighborhood mural. We who do mission might be in danger of thinking that we bring all the resources, that we provide all the hope. But instead, we need to see with the eyes of Christ and see spaces of possibility and skills, skills which could be called out, affirmed, and supported. Last summer, you probably remember this, but this very act of exchange happened in the neighborhood on the north side when two residents who have attended this church and work at our walk-in, Lena and Loretta, decided to offer a day camp to the bored neighborhood kids roaming the streets. We, as a church, stepped up not to swoop in with a new idea, but instead to support the work that these two women had already decided to do in their own neighborhood. Lena and Loretta were offering something to their community from their abundance of care and creativity. Earlier this week, I heard a presentation by two pastors, Ben and Alan, who quit their jobs at big steeple churches and decided to pour all their energy into starting a farm church. They moved to Durham, North Carolina with the vision that they would start a worshiping community who would then leave the worshiping space to go work on a farm. And then all of the abundance of that farm would be spent in the community to help address food insecurity. They are amazed by the conversations they have had in just the last year. Over and over again, they find doors opening and they are able to raise money and people are excited about what they are doing. As Ben, one pastor said, the more we talk with people about Farm Church, the more resources we discover, the more we realize that we are just trying to keep up with Jesus. This line really stuck out to me. Because indeed, sometimes we face the work of mission and we can feel exhausted and overwhelmed. But it is then that we must remind ourselves that we aren't doing this on our own. We must broaden our imagination and see what bountiful things God is already doing in people's minds and hearts and lives. We are just trying to keep up with Jesus. Fourth we can learn what to do next. Indeed, this story tells us what happens after the miracle is achieved, the mission work is completed, and everyone is filled with amazement. This is the dangerous part. If we are hoping to follow Jesus, we must notice what the people want to do. They want to enthrone Jesus. They want to make him king by force. They think they now have the answer to all their problems, and they want to put him up on a pedestal. But the problem is, this isn't real worship. This is hero worship. And Jesus is not satisfied with that. As one commentator of this text wrote years ago, he's not been writing in the last two months, but he did say, this type of hero worship is what we're in danger of doing every election season. Every time candidates run for office, the crowds want to say, let's make something of this person. Let's give him or her all the power. Surely he or she can fix everything. 
When we want quick solutions, we are in danger of setting up the idol of a leader, someone we can enthrone. But this is not what Jesus wants. Even the Son of God, the one who will ultimately set all things right, even the Son of God resists our attempts to put him on a pedestal, to lift him up on a throne. Even Jesus, the one who calls us and claims us for mission work, the one who shows us how to share God's love with the whole world, even this man doesn't want us to think that we have this whole thing figured out, that we know exactly what needs to happen next. We want a king who will join us on the winning side, but we need a Messiah who will transform the world. And indeed, we do this with more than people, we must confess. We place systems and our own agendas on a pedestal. When we per participate in a great act of mission, we too become tempted to revere our system, to pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, we know how to do this. We are in danger of enshrining our way of doing mission and ignoring all other possibilities. And so as we read about this miracle, we must try to keep up with Jesus to watch what Jesus does next. And I wonder if perhaps he too needed to guard against his own temptation. Perhaps there was a part of him that started to like the idea of being a king, who thought that wouldn't be so bad to have that kind of power in this area of the world. But Christ's kingdom does not reveal itself on a throne. Christ's kingdom reveals itself on a cross, and all those crowds that are hailing him now will abandon him. Jesus must be prepared for that. And so Jesus retreats to the mountain. He gets away from the fawning crowds. And so we, too, can remember to be on guard against the temptation to enthrone our way of doing things. We must not assume we know what God is up to next. We must be aware that the Spirit is always out there, always out there in the abundance, always out there doing a new thing. Our work is to try and to keep up. So when we consider the ministry of mission, we can learn these four things. One, pay attention to those who are hungry. Get to know them, be with them, ask questions, hear stories, find out what is gnawing at them in body, mind, and spirit. Second, remember that Christ wants to work with us. This isn't about us going out on our own. This is about joining Christ who is already at work in the world. Third, we can keep up with Jesus. We can believe in bountiful abundance. We can try to have the vision of Christ looking for possibilities, for opportunities to share our resources back and forth in a life-affirming exchange. And fourth, we can work to not idolize our own way of doing things just because we've always done things that way. We can guard against hero worship for even Jesus, the Messiah, resists our attempts to enthrone him as king. And as we follow him out into the world, we must resist the temptation to just keep him on our side. Because if we do that, we'll be holding him back. This week, I also heard a group of pastors from the Church of Scotland who were reflecting on their own mission experiences. 
Church of Scotland has dealt with dramatic losses in the last 50 years of their church membership and their church buildings. And yet these pastors saw signs of hope and new growth in the midst of their ministry. And one thing they wanted to do was to change the way they talked about mission and about church and about God. One said, if we talk about taking God out to the community, then our view of God must be very small in order to pack God up and carry him. Instead, we've got to believe and talk as if Jesus is already out there in the world, getting to work, rolling up his sleeves, laughing with collaborators, and turning around, inviting us to join him. Friends, Christ is alive and at work. This is good news. Let us try and keep up. Let us pray. Lord, this is your world. We are your children. Show us how to follow you, to keep up with you, so that we don't just leave this church, but that we might go out and be the church in the world. Amen.